Hello and welcome to Media Made, the show in which we, year by year, explore the movies, music, and TV that most invaded our lives. I'm your host, the host with the most, Rod. I'm joined by... The host with a little less most, Jess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and if you've never listened to the show before, the idea is we go through a list of the movies, the music albums, and the television shows that released or premiered year by year. You look at a big old list of them, and we choose the ones that we have seen or listened to the absolute most. Yeah. Uh, this episode is uh, 1986. We're looking at music, 1986. So we've looked at a giant list of every album released in 1986 and decide which one each of us had heard the most. Um, and uh, how'd that go for, for us? Wonderfully. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was all right. I, 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 was, I was thoroughly entertained. I liked all of the music this year. <laughs> Every oh okay you mean in general because yeah. I'm still thinking about our dark okay yeah our dark we'll, moments we'll, we'll get to that in a moment <laughs> um, you may have heard that uh, we have some silky sounds coming out of the, you know coming into your ears there we we got a yeah. mixer and new mics so that's yeah. nice yeah <laughs> yeah so uh, you know bear with us as we continue to take baby steps to get in the audio to where it's like just peak peak quality but yeah. you know <laughs> we, we're we're not audio engineers so. Uh, bear with us. Yeah. Well, anyway. We're going to make it sound good to our ears. And yeah. if your ears are like our ears, they're shaped like round conch shells. Magic conch? Will <laughs> I ever get married? <laughs> is that a SpongeBob reference? It is. Uh, Maybe someday. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is actually our second episode of 1986. We did movies last time. We yeah. talked about uh, my movie... American Tale. Boo. <laughs> Please, can we get a soundboard system that is other people booing? Double my voice. Boo. 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 <laughs> Yo, <son. laughs> and uh, Jess's movie was Labyrinth. Yay! <sighs> yeah! Look at that cod piece! Um, and, and just a, you know, a bit of house cleaning, we, I think we decided without actually saying it that Jess's movie was clearly better absolutely 100 percent. labyrinth beat american tale to the ground mm. um and that means jess has one point in the year of 1986 Woo! winning hashtag winning hashtag <laughs> tiger blood hashtag wifing there you go all right but we're in music we're gonna listen to music today um normally i would say jess and i have diverse musical tastes uh-huh. um, and and definitely um i lean towards rock and metal her more towards Nickelback. Yeah, I mean, that's rock for, for some people. <laughs> uh, but no, like, you're more pop, R&B, especially in the 80s and mm-hmm. 90s. Um, yeah, definitely. And then when we go, I get real indie and chill. Yeah. Mm. But either way, like, so, like, if you listen to our 1985 music episode, um, we talked about uh, Justice album was Whitney Houston. Pop. Mm. Yeah. Soul. Yes. Mine was Megadeth. Uh, the, the thrashiest of metal. The trashiest of metal uh, you know <laughs> it was it was rough but t- today we actually were within the same ballpark yeah um we'll talk about jess's album and how we got there because you know, <laughs> another thing you'll learn about jess is she does not listen to a lot of music from she does from not. before she was born she does not so usually it comes down to what songs are on the radio <laughs> <laughs> yes actually yeah but what anyway. songs have my parents listened to Ignacium. Right. But we're going to start with my album. Uh, you want to introduce it? <clears throat> All the way from across the pond, we've got four geeks 
Yes, four. Four geeks and a guitar and maybe some other stuff. Iron Maiden! Released September 29th, 1986, a turning point in the sound of 80s heavy metal. We have Somewhere in Time by Iron Maiden. How does that make you feel? <laughs> Feels like you didn't like my intro. No, no, uh, you, you, you you brought it in. There's definitely some there's definitely some geeks and some guitars in that sound. But yeah, so somewhere in time, oh man, where do we start? I guess uh, I, I guess I'll just give a quick rundown of what Iron Maiden is all about. Mm. Iron Maiden was formed in Leighton, East London, 1975, by bass guitarist and chief songwriter Steve Harris. To this day, Mr. Harris is the leader of the band. He writes most of the songs, including the lyrics. He is like the creative mind. They've cycled through guitarists, they've cycled through vocalists, but Steve Harris is the backbone. Okay. Mm. Iron Maiden occupies the genre of metal known as the new wave of British heavy metal. Okay. Right. Um, I gave a little bit of a, a history of heavy metal in the Megadeth, like my Megadeth segment of our 1985 music episode. Um, just. Cliff Notes version, heavy metal started in the early 70s with like bluesy, harder edge rock. So you, the pioneers were Black Sabbath, uh, uh, Deep Purple, uh, Led Zeppelin, and a few other, you know, just like pioneers. They, they, they did not necessarily establish, they weren't heavy metal all the time, but that's, but they, their sound ended up influencing what would become right, right, right. the true heavy metal of the late 70s, early 80s. Iron Maiden were those bands. Mm. Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, Motorhead, Saxon, um, a group of these British bands. They, I think, officially established, hey, this is what heavy metal is going to sound like from, from now on. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and and that, that worked its way into the 80s. Um, heavy metal, hard rock, those were the big names. But that was Britain. America, the the heavy metal hard rock scene was a little different. Do you remember what I talked about with? Did we talk about Axl Rose and the Jupe Jupes? No, 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 no. He's. <laughs> I, I I I revealed to you that in the eight in the early eighties in America, there, the, the, there was like a, a split between the hair metal and the glam metal thing, right? So that was the most popular mm-hmm. of the the genres, right? Or that was like the most radio, like you know they they were they were the biggest drawing, the glam metal, the hair metal. Apparently they were also called the teeth metal because they smiled. Oh. You know, British dudes, you know, they were uh, a little bit more angsty. The Americans, they were wild and liked having parties and they liked loose women and, oh. you know, drinking and drugs and having a good old time. My um, dear. Yeah. Uh, so Van Halen, um, yeah. <laughs> Van Halen kiss, stuff like that. Okay. They were uh, all about it. Right, right. Um, Unfortunately, that glam metal, hair metal, pop metal started to basically just take over American, uh, uh, the American hard rock scene. You say unfortunately? Do you mean unfortunately? I, I don't know. I like I like Van Halen to a to a point. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it's not. It wasn't what. The... Yeah, if I was if I was living in the early '80s and I went to the record store, I would buy an Iron Maiden's Power Slave because that to me that was more metal than. Van Halen's 1984, mm-hmm. for example. So anyway, and then, and then when we talked about um, Megadeth, roundabouts the mid-80s when American metal looked like everybody just wanted to be pop and synthy and, you know, big 
arena rock type thing, you know, sellouts even, mm-hmm. if you if you will. Um, the thrash metal scene started to grow up from the underground because they were like, no, man, we're bringing it back. We <laughs> want to be hard again. <laughs> um, so anyway, yeah, the, the you got the current generation of thrash metal heads trying to rise up and, and make a name for themselves. At the same time, the previous generation of metal was also falling into the more synth-oriented uh, sound, okay? Mm-hmm. Iron Maiden... In 1984, they released Power Slave, which is, like, the height of 80s heavy metal, in my opinion. Nothing gets more metal than that. Nothing. Like, of, of that generation, right? Mm-hmm. This is their follow-up, okay? And the thing is, it's what my, it. I think it's defined by the fact that somewhere in time, 1986, Iron Maiden, it's the band's first album to feature guitar synthesizers. You know, normally, like, heavy metal guitar, it's, it's distorted, you know, it has that very, like, crunchy, like, you know. Yeah, okay. Yeah, no, you know, I know, sound I know like, you mean, that yeah, crunchy yeah. sound, like that, that trademark electric guitar sound, mm-hmm. um, heavy distortion. Because it, it was the 80s and synth- synthesizers were, you know, on the rise, you know, everybody wanted to um, experiment with this new technology right mm-hmm. if you wanted to use a guitar synthesizer and i'm that's the thing i'm not a musician i'm not a, a an audio engineer but the best of my understanding is that they plug your you plug your guitar into a synthesizer the sounds run through the synthesizer as if it would a distortion pedal right to right. make the heavy metal sound the the synthesizer then outputs the guitar and makes a more synthesized guitar sound than a distorted guitar sound like you would get through the distortion pedal Right, okay. So okay. It, the best example I have is the song... Um, from this album? The song from this album. It's called Heaven Can Wait. Mm-hmm. And it opens with a bass riff from Steve Harris. So he's... You, you know what a bass guitar sounds like. Yeah. Right? This is what a bass guitar going through a synthesizer sounds like. That. It's just, it's a little different. Right. It's It's got that that electronic, that yeah, that electronic twang that's mm-hmm. hard to articulate, but it's there and you can hear it. So if you wanted a raw, traditional metal sound, you're not going to find it here. Not in this album. Not in, not in this album. They're okay. experimenting. Mm-hmm. So I can understand some people feeling betrayed <gasps> by this experimentation. I made it no. And it's it's kind of funny. Coincidentally, Judas Priest, who is Iron Maiden's contemporary, they released the Leather Daddies. The Leather Daddy. <laughs> yep. They released an album in 1986 as well called Turbo, which also made heavy use of synthesizers. So, if you're a little kid in heavy in in you know the heavy metal scene, you're like, okay, all all of my favorites have now gone commercial. <laughs> I'm gonna go lean back towards the thrash metal. That's where it is. I'm sure that's why we have the rise of thrash metal exactly as the previous generation was coming down with more synthesized guitars. Mm. And it's not bad. Yeah, I like, it's I just like different. It. It's just different. So and you gotta be in the mood. You have it. to understand, heavy metal, you know, metalheads, they're very particular. <laughs> Wait, you're particular? Oh, yeah. Picky, even. What? You're picky? Yes. How have I never known this about you before? And this is, so the, the use of synthesizers is actually a half step. Um, I was reading, and it turns out that singer song or singer Bruce Dickinson, he was exhausted from their like most recent tour. Mm-hmm. It was like a year and a half of like heavy touring. Power Slave, one of their biggest albums. Um, he's just like, hey man, I, I want to take a break. Let's write some acoustic songs. And Steve Harris is like, uh, no. 
that's a little that's a, you know that's a bridge too far, my friend. Um, so it's like it's we want to ex- bridge too far. Yeah, we're gonna experiment with synthesizers. We are not doing this acoustic stuff, bro. Uh, you know, uh, Bruce stuck it out for another three albums, but he was gone after this. Yeah, after that, like I need a break. He did need a break. He wanted to do his own thing. Um, With some he, acoustic guitars. I guess so. And then he came back in the year 2000. But yeah. I just want you to know that mm-hmm. you've done this like all week. You keep saying in the year 2000 and my brain starts singing a Jonas Brothers song. It goes, and I came from the year 3000. And you keep doing it. That's unfortunate. And it's stuck in my <laughs> head. And I love you. But you have to stop saying in the year 2000. Sorry. <laughs> all right. Um, let's uh, let's jump into it. Let's, let's look at some tracks here. Okay. I want to, um, we, we opened, like, I, I, I opened with it, but I want to, like, really take a listen to it. The Sea of Madness, which is my favorite of the songs off this album. Mm-hmm. Start that off again. Well, that's good that they opened with it, then. No, no, no. The first song is actually Caught in Time. Oh. Caught Somewhere in Time. Oh, right, right, right. Um, they, they did not intend it this way, but some people see this as a concept album dealing with just time. Mm-hmm. Just, uh, you know, the passage of time, uh, going back in time. Fighting time. Uh, waiting. Yeah. Deja vu. There's right? a lot of, there's a lot of. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a, that's fun. Our yeah. name tends to do that. But anyway. Um, but they say it's not a concept album. Did you, did you have anything you wanted to say about Sea of Madness before we start? Yeah, Jess is a lyric person. <laughs> I'm more of a music person. Like, I, I'm down with this music. I can, I can get, I'm like, yeah. Ooh, mm, bop them shoulders. Go. And it, you know, Iron Maiden is defined by that, by Bruce Dickinson's operatic voice. His operatic woes. Voice. Voice. Yeah, and woes. <laughs> he does. He does. You have some woes in, in in a few of these songs. Yeah, you do. That anyway. Bicentennial O. Normally, I would say that Iron Maiden their lyrics are like they they, they stand up. Mm. You know, they they hold water. Um, sometimes I don't know what they're singing about. Yeah. <laughs> like this song. What yeah. You, you you'd probably spent more time deciphering these lyrics than I did. Anything you got? In- <sighs> No. <laughs> I was just like, I don't know. What is it? I remember when we were listening to it the first time, I was like, what's it about? <laughs> somewhere in Time. Or not Somewhere in Time. That's sea, the name of the album. Madness. Sea of Madness. And obviously, I mean, by the title, you want to say it's just kind of like, you know, you feel like you're drowning. Because you're crazy. Because the world is mad. Okay. That's fair. <laughs> um, and trying to, like, fly above it, right? Like, but then just kind of... Uh, because I think we're, that's where the... the choruses a lot mm-hmm. just um like an eagle uh like the eagle and the dove fly so high on wings above uh when all you see can only bring you sadness so you're like here, okay here, let's let's be quiet here he'll sing that yeah and so i think uh right that's about trying to put yourself above it like away from it like yeah. we've all been through those kind of times when it's like, just like, like like the year 2020? Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to say the year 2000. I was going to so, fight you. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, that kind of just like, all right, when you can only see something that is just like bringing you down, do your best to stay above it. But then the next part of it is like uh, like a river we flow on towards the sea we go. Like as much as you want to be away from it, like as much as you want to be a bird, yeah, a fish, <laughs> and you can't not go with the flow. So um you know, it, it feels like very much like if you can't fight them, if you can't beat them, join them. But join in joining them, you're just kind of like, yeah, 
<laughs> it's a sad song. To me, it was more like, yeah, this 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 world's wild, and there are a lot of anxieties, and I'm feeling a lot. You know, I'm going crazy, but the truth is, I just got to keep trucking on. You know, mm-hmm. in the in the in a very British way, you got to keep on keeping on. Keep on. <laughs> got to carry on, right? Yeah. C- carry. Uh, keep calm. Keep calm. Carry on. Sing about it. <laughs> Uh, another story about Sea of Madness. Uh, this is the first song I heard off this album. Huh. Um, back in high school, um, I was discovering music and learning what it was that I liked. You know, so it was like I remember hearing the song uh, "Run to the Hills" by Iron Maiden on the radio, and I was like, "This is incredible." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I was like, I-, "I want to know more about this band, right?" Mm-hmm. And so I asked my my good old buddy Michael, who Loves to collect music. The man has, I think, 100,000 songs in his... The library? I, no, his iPod from, like, 2007 or whatever. Oh, like, wow. He has one of the fat ones. Oh, you know, like, like, the, the, like er, er, the brick? Yeah, that's... like the early iPod. Mm. He still has it. And he still listens to it in his car. <laughs> He's got so many songs, like, you know, like, 180 gigs of songs. One day we just think Michael on the podcast. So, yeah, we do. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so I said, hey, bro, I like Iron Maiden. Can you... Like, give me some of the songs off the album, and uh, or, or just give me their best songs. So he made me a mix CD of all of his favorite Iron Maiden songs, and this was on that CD. Um, and I agreed. I was like, sounds good. <laughs> all right, so let's transition out of that one. What say you? Do you want to move on to uh, Stranger in a Strange Land? Okay. Oh, you like that bass? That's a clean bass right there. Yeah. I'd put this on in the background and not listen to it. I like so Iron Maiden is also <laughs> defined by like that drive, right? Mm-hmm. You just like the bass is. I always call it the gallop. Mm-hmm. This feels more like a trot. Yeah, um, we'll we'll get to a galloping song at the end, but yeah, this this song is very. Uh, I don't know, it's just kind of a drive, right? The riff mm-hmm. is strong. It makes you want to bob your head and just kind of like yeah, move on. Yeah. So this song was written by um, guitarist Adrian Smith. He'll he'll interject sometimes and write a song or two, and uh, make a little bit more sense. My my challenge to you because I know <sighs> what what he was writing about when he when he when he wrote the song. When we were looking at the lyrics proper, I felt like going in blind. It was hard to understand what the heck it was even talking about. Yeah. So I challenged you to look at the lyrics and figure out what this song was about. I don't know. <laughs> I honestly don't know. It's not a book, is what you told me. It's The title of the song is the title of a book, but it's it not about it's that not book. It's not about the book. They also say Brave New World in here, but it's also not about that book, yep. apparently. I have a story about that, Let me since you brought that up. Go ahead. Um, when Michael gave me that mix CD, right... Because um, back in the like, that's the thing. He didn't and he didn't encode or or, or actually give each track information mm-hmm. on the file. So he gave me this mix CD. I popped it in my computer, and it was just track one, track two, <laughs> track three. So I had to like a like a sleuth figure out what each song's name was, so I can in what album it came from, so I can you know insert the information in iTunes, mm-hmm. so I knew what the heck I was looking for, right? So each song, I would go in and wait for the chorus and try to figure out okay. What is the name mm-hmm. of this song, right? They number of the beast. He he repeats it. It's kind of it's easy to understand right, what, right. what that song's called, right? This song, he says, "Brave new world, brave new world," right? Mm-hmm. And I thought I looked up Iron Maiden, "Brave New World." 
they have a song called Brave New World <laughs> from the year 2000. <laughs> and I was like, okay, so this song's called Brave New World. So... <laughs> It's not. <laughs> and it, for the for a while, it was in my computer as Brave New World. How'd you find out it wasn't? You heard Brave New I, World? I was, um, I, I had to read the Brave New World. Better. I had to read read Brave New World in high school mm-hmm. uh, in, in sophomore English class. So when I was reading it, um, I was Googling it or looking at Wikipedia, and they said that Iron Maiden had written a song about it. And I said, oh, really? And I went and listened to it. I was like, or I, I maybe had looked it up on YouTube mm-hmm. and listen to the actual Brave New World song. And it was like, oh, that's cool. And then I was like, oh, it's in my iPod already. That's not the same song. <laughs> What's going on? So then you find out, no, this song is actually Stranger in a Strange Land. Anyway. It's about Alice in Wonderland. Nope. It, it, it's yeah. not about a book. <laughs> you keep so, yeah, saying give that. So yeah, give me some, uh, some uh... of your, your steps here. You're deciphering. Give me some lyrics on how... Oh, wait. Stranger in a Strange Land, Land of Ice and Snow. Is this about... Dang it, I wanted to say another book. See, because you said book, now my brain is wants to say The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. So you got <laughs> you got a Land of Ice and Snow, right? Game of Thrones. No. Nope. <laughs> um, 100 Men... Oh, I was about to say Alexander the Great, but that's a different song that we'll get to. Rip Van Winkle. No. Nope. You give up? Um, Land Before Time. No. Ice Age. Uh-uh. The okay. Wiggles. Here we go. The lyrics are, are about, and apparently this is... It's Doctor Who. No, no. This song, Adrian Smith, when he wrote the song, was reading about an Arctic explorer that got lost in the snow and died, and he was found a hundred years later with his body still preserved. So it's Fargo? No. <laughs> no. So I mean, like that—that's that, what the song's about. It's about an, an, an explorer gets lost in the snow, the land of ice and snow, and then this is his soul singing about you know being trapped under the ice, and then wait, so it's Captain America? <laughs> yes, yes. I, I, I was actually thinking that when we were listening to it, like uh, I was reading the lyrics, knowing that what the song was about, and huh. I was just like, yeah, this could be a song about Captain America. Somebody needs to make that edit and put it on YouTube. Just yeah. this whole song with clips from Captain Dude, that's America like, and Winter Soldier. That, that <laughs> in the the heyday of uh, uh, anime music videos, someone could have you know if, if the Avengers had come out a, a bit before, you could have taken this song and edited clips from Captain America and the Avengers. They could have still done that with like pieces of the comic books. Oh, I would watch. I would watch. Well, you know, just like screenshots of the. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So anyway, yeah. Do it, someone. It's about this guy. He's singing about his, uh, 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 you know, his soul being trapped under the ice and then men find him and he's just like, I'm found again. You know? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I would not have gotten that. No. I feel like I was probably close with, you know, like Doctor Who. No. <laughs> I feel like there's definitely been an episode where he's trapped in... Ha-ha! Peter Capilotti was bored. Wow. Words. Words are hard. I'm done. <laughs> okay. I, I have no idea what you're even talking about. <laughs> there was an episode where they're tra- stuck in an ice palace. It's oh. Peter. Okay, well. <laughs> All right, so we're we're, we're going to move on to... Uh, like We're not going to close with, with bad stuff. We're mm-hmm. going to close with good stuff, but we got to get the bad stuff out of the way first. Let's go to the closing song in the album, Alexander the Great. My son, ask for thyself another kingdom, for that which I leave is too small for thee. So cinematic, it even has a little intro. Wow. All right, so every Iron Maiden album 
uh, you, most Iron Maiden albums, mm-hmm. they have a, an epic song, a song that's longer than the rest, deals with uh, some, something. <laughs> some, something of great interest to the writers. Um, on this album, it's Alexander the Great. It's a musical adaptation of the life of Alexander the Great, his exploits. Mm-hmm. Um, the song clocks in at 836. It's, you know... Some of their songs get to about 15 minutes. Didn't get that yeah. far, but it's definitely the longest song on the album. And It's terrible. Well, why is it so terrible? Lyrically. Like, musically, it's fine. Yeah, like, it's, this is this is very, like, It's soothing. interesting. It has a very, like, you know, classy intro here. Yeah. You know? And then it breaks into the riff. Like, let's skip ahead. Yeah. yeah. I could bop to that. I am currently bopping to that. And also another before we talk about the lyrics, another thing about Iron Maiden songs is uh, it has that driving beat. We called it the gallop. Mm-hmm. You can kind of hear it like the yeah. So anyway, yeah. Lyrically, it just doesn't do it for me. Lyrically, this thing should have been workshopped. Yeah, a lot more. Like a lot more. It's just it's clunky. It, like, has no flow. It's just words put together in four-line stanzas, five-line stanzas. It's just... It's not good. Like... So this is what the the chorus sounds like. Right, you know, it's just fine. You know, Alexander the Great... You know, it's Mm -hmm. like you got this powerful figure... They're showing him reverence. They're like, "Cool, I want to learn more about this guy. What's he all about here?" And uh, let's let's get to the next verse. It's just like he, first he did this, and then he did this, and then he met this guy, and he fought this guy. It's like <laughs> it's so droning yeah and repetitive and clunky like you heard him try to fit like one too many syllables into a stanza it's oh like, my gosh like, he's saying these macedonian names and it's just like no there's a line that says the scarikins fell by the river of draxis <laughs> like that's a line yeah i'm saying those words wrong yeah but like <laughs> legit he he it's so clunky it's it's just awkward and it's so unfortunate because i know that steve harris wrote this song because he loves this stuff. He yeah. loves history and he wanted to write a song talking about the exploits of of, 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 of King Alexander. The great. the great. Yeah, and I know he can do this well, right? Yeah. Because he has that song about the Mariner, right? Yeah, yeah. so in, in, in Power Slave in 1984, they had a song called Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, which is a musical adaptation of the poem of the same name. And that song was done very well. Very, very well. I liked it. I enjoyed it. Yeah. That was fun. It was long. It was like... 11 minutes. But they but, painted a word picture. Yes, they painted a word image. <laughs> um, it, whereas in this song, it's just like, he's just like reading events off, like as if it was a history lecture. Yeah, and it's just... It's, it's real unfortunate. Yeah, and it doesn't necessarily even stick in your head the way other songs about great Alexanders... Um, <laughs> I'm not going to actually say he was great. But, you know, so I, I don't know. I, I like, you're doing a good thing, Steve. I appreciate you. Try it. Try You're the again. homie. Yeah, maybe maybe workship it a little bit yeah. more. And it's like I know he can write about history effectively. Like he's done um, songs about like the Crimean War or World War One, mm. right? And it's like th- in those songs, it's like 
you know, it, he he's expressing like the fear and like the the the, the futility of, of combat mm-hmm. and like the fear of death. And it's like, yeah, th- these are very effective, you know, lyrics that you're writing, Steve. That's nowhere in this song. Yeah, sorry, Mr. Harris. Um, I was the, yesterday. I was listening to Symphony X. The Symphony X song um, about the Odyssey. So Symphony X is a progressive metal band, and they wrote a 20-minute song. It's an adaptation of the Odyssey by Homer, you know? <laughs> and in that song, it was just like, it was similar. You know, it's about a guy traveling and fighting in the, you know, the Trojan War. And, and in, in, in that song, they give voices to the characters. Mm-hmm. Odysseus is singing about how he misses home and he wants to, you know, return back. And mm-hmm. he's, he, you know, he's, he's feeling doubt within himself. I feel like this Alexander the Great song would have benefited from more of that. You know, yeah. hey man, what's Alexander about? Yeah. Other than he, you know, fought the king of Persia again. <laughs> yeah. He died of fever. That's the last, that's the last line <laughs> oh, of the song. So he died of fever in Babylon. Alexander the Great, he died of fever in Babylon. That's so lame. <laughs> I don't think that's the melody, but. <laughs> so, yeah, it might as well be. So anyway, that, yeah, that's a taste of, uh. That that's the worst this album has to offer. Let's yeah. talk about some of the best because this is we're going to talk about the song "Wasted Years," one of its one of the songs or one of the album's two uh, uh, singles. Oh, yep. Got the iconic riff there. Um, interestingly, this is the um, this is only the only song. On the album, not to feature any synthesizers. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was written by, I believe, Adrian Smith again, the uh, the guitarist, mm-hmm. and he was just like, "Yeah, man, I want to write a straight up metal song." And let's do it. Yeah, and and I can understand why this is the single because it's definitely one of the stronger songs in the, mm-hmm. on the album, and something that people would recognize more easily. Yeah, exactly. And it's like I was I was also looking into it. Apparently, like after. Just two concert tours, Iron Maiden completely disregarded this whole album. Like, <laughs> there are only three songs from the album that have been played more than twice on concert, in concert. Mm-hmm. Um, this is one of them. The other two are Somewhere in Time. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, no, no, sorry. Uh, Stranger in a Strange Land. Okay. And Heaven Can Wait. Okay. Which I, I played a little bit of yeah. with, the, with the bass. Uh so it's like, yeah, it's like this album is just like, yeah, we, we know. It's not our strongest effort. It's fine. <laughs> we disregard it. But either way, it gave us Wasted Years. Yeah. Any, anything you want to say about Wasted Years? Lyrically, I like perhaps? it. Um, Let's get a catchy chorus. Yep. <laughs> I just think it's like very um oh what's the word nostalgic mm-hmm. i mean obviously right but like one of the line of the chorus don't waste your time searching for those wasted years i don't know i just think that i personally just think that's a really strong line yeah just like yeah the song is about adrian smith uh being homesick and alienated while on tour obviously they had just gone on a year-long excursion why did he feel alienated I think every rock band in their lifespan has to write one song about how it's miserable being on tour mm-hmm. and we want to go home. 
and be yeah. with our families. And the, the, for Iron Maiden, it's this song, you know. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, he's just like, hey, man, this is my job, and I got to keep trucking on. <laughs> I got to keep keep carrying on, as we say. Got to keep doing it. Yep. Um, and and, and not not resent those wasted years, so to say. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, hey, man, I'm living for today. Oh, yeah, and I think it's interesting, like, referring to them as wasted years. Like, you were doing something that you loved and you were passionate about. Yeah. But that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, because like, I, I feel I'm like I'm on the road. Like, I miss my kids' birthdays. Yeah, I was going to say, like, it feels very much like the, like, <sighs> Reaganomics father who's working all the time. And it's just like, well, I'm doing this for you so you can have a better life than me. But, like, those are years that you've wasted in some form. But I guess we always, like, we always, we can say we are always wasting years in some kind of way. Like, if we're, because there's so many paths that we can take Mm -hmm. that um, if we get to the end of this path in a year or two years, we can be like, oh, man, I should have been focusing my energy here. I feel like I would have been doing better here. So I, I think that it's one of those songs that I like better than, like, other songs that I've heard about, like by rock bands or just regular solo artists that are about missing home, because yeah. it's not just about like, oh, I miss the comfort of home. It's about like this kind of existential thought yeah. of, uh, and maybe that's not word. Like that's what I'm pulling from it, but of how our years are wasted uh, despite what we're doing, even right. if we love it. I'm like, I, I don't know. Would you? He, he he has a case of the dad guilt. <laughs> <laughs> we are peak 80s. Yep. Peak 80s is the wonder, most wonderful like, time for dad guilt. Mid, mid-80s to the mid-90s is uh, the peak years for dad guilt. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll, we'll definitely discuss a lot of that. But I think Adrian, you know, he's on to something. Yeah. He, he misses home. Hmm. All right. Um, mm-hmm. I'm gonna, let's talk a little bit about how this album is received. <laughs> This album is widely regarded. Though it did receive fairly positive reviews, it's widely considered the worst of 80s, or the, the, the Maiden's 80s catalog. Hmm. Um, which, you know, it's hard not to argue with, because <laughs> uh, because I, I definitely agree. agree. It's, yeah, it's like, you know, it, it's like, there, it, there, other than Alexander the Great, there's like nothing outright bad on this album. It's just like not as good as the other ones. Mm-hmm. Songwriting, uh, lyrics... Um, just the sound and the feel of it, you know, it just doesn't have the power and the energy that, that even a power, like definitely a power slave or even a uh, mm-hmm. peace in mind would have. Yeah. Yeah, man. That's, that's really all we got on, on <laughs> Somewhere in Time by Iron Maiden. Would you recommend it? Um, yes, because the whole album is only like 59 minutes. Yeah. And, um, besides the last, uh, eight minute history lesson, um, the songs are like, you know, they're a reasonable time. Lyrically, it's fine. Um, and musically, like, if you don't particularly care for rock uh, or heavy metal or this genre, you yeah. can definitely very easily, like, put it, listen, just have it on while you're doing something. I feel like this is a, a really good thing. I know this sounds weird. To clean to. <laughs> to, like, just be able to, like keep your your pulse up in your body like yeah. moving because like there are a lot of like good driving beats like even though they have the ballad i don't there aren't any slow traditional ballads on this yeah. so i'm like yeah i'd recommend it for i'm like I, I would recommend it to uh iron maiden completionists <laughs> you know it's like hey man if you like power slave you like number of the beast uh check this one out and just give it a listen you know uh because it's it's there and it's not bad <laughs> um, it's just not as good as the other stuff. Um, also, it is an interesting, pun unintended, uh, time capsule uh-huh. um, for the 80s metal sound. 
Like, they, they, they were doing something that they wouldn't do two years before or two years after hmm. with this sound. <clears throat> uh, just the synthesizers and everything. It's just, it's unique. Yeah. Unique sound, unique ideology, I guess. So, that's all I got to say. We're going to close out with the song uh, Deja Vu. Uh, so, we'll see you on the, the other side. Not the meme song. No. <laughs> see you on the other side with Jess's album, 1986. See ya. these messages. The Swear in Time, the new album from Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden. Catch them somewhere on tour sometime in early 1987. Somewhere in Time on Capitol. Oh man, we're coming in. You give love a bad name. Bon Jovi, their 1986 album, Slippery, Slippery When, when Wet. wet. Uh, terrible, terrible <laughs> album title. Um, at it's least, a slip and slide. Yeah. Oh man. Oh man. OG. Right. OG. <laughs> oh dear. Released August 18th, 1986. Uh, one of the 80s most successful and highest selling rock records. Mm. Continues to be one of the highest selling rock records of all time you cannot go like two hours listening to classic rock radio without hearing a song from this album oh probably (laughs) um i i I would guarantee they play at least three of these songs every day on the radio okay that yeah this is jess's 1986 album i'm gonna let her go why is this your 86 album when when did you first hear about this you know these songs here from bon jovi i Definitely have, the, you know, there are some memories, like some songs and some smells that are like attached to memories. Yeah. And so, um, Living on a Prayer is attached to, uh, me in my mom's purple minivan driving up to LA to visit, um, my grandpa really early in the morning and mm-hmm. it's real dark, uh, which will, a lot <laughs> happened a lot this early because I think that um, as iconic as this album is, um, and I definitely have heard a couple songs off of it. I'm not. This is not something that I would listen to. This is very much a my mom, mm-hmm. <laughs> possibly my dad. Is this, this is a secondhand album. This is a second. This might even be a thirdhand album. Thirdhand, a secondhand line album. <laughs> <laughs> This is actually one of the things that we will see happening a lot. Uh, for me, the mm-hmm. reason uh, that I don't know if we explained it here or if we explained it on uh, Media Made Dark. Oh yeah, so yeah, let, let's explain that. Okay. Yeah, and then we'll we'll talk like we'll actually give us a chance to talk about uh, another aspect of 1986 music <sighs> that we didn't mention, but um, or no, I'll, I'll save that for the end. Go ahead. Okay, so um, how. 
we were doing this for a couple, this is 18, 18, no, 19, 86. Um, so obviously we've been doing this for two years that you have heard, uh, which means the content is like five episodes at this point. So five forms of media yeah. um, or pieces of media. So when we started out, we didn't really have uh, hard and fast rules. Yeah. Well, we had hard and fast rules. We didn't it, have defined rules. Before we did this on Mike, we actually just did this together as a couples exercise just to learn about each other yeah. and the things that we like. Yeah. Um, so it was just like, Music album, yeah. Which one of these sticks out to you? What's the most, right? Mm -hmm. But like, as we went through and developed actual rules for what is the most listened to album, like it kind of depends. So music is weird, right? Because Mm -hmm. an album is comprised of a number of songs. Yeah. So we had to come up with rules. It's like if you've got an album and you've heard five of the eight songs on it, right? you have another album that you've heard all eight songs which of those would you count as the most listened to album Mm -hmm. and we decided it's the one you've heard every song of yeah so if there's an album like for me uh, somewhere in time i've heard every single song on that album a number of times Mm -hmm. therefore that album supersedes any other album from 1986 that i may have heard only a handful of songs from but have heard those songs more than Somewhere in time. Yeah. That's just the way, that's the way it goes. Yeah. And if there is no album from the year that you haven't heard every song off of, the album that we chose to listen to for that person would be the one they've heard the most songs from. From, yes. So, this is 18, Nabbit, this is 86. Uh-huh. I don't listen to music. This is, it is, it became abundantly clear as we, as we moved forward into this in late 80s, early 90s. I just don't listen to music. I don't do it. I yeah. just don't. So, I have heard three songs off this album. Was it four? No, three. It was three songs three off this songs. album. Yeah. And that was more than I had heard of any other album released in eight, 1986. And let me just say, there were like 300 albums released that year. Not that many. Mm, it felt like that. It felt like that. I mean, we're going to like push it as we get farther in years. But three. Three was the golden number. Three, three songs. And that's it. There was no other album that she's heard more than three songs from. Yes. Um, and that's fine. Yeah. And obviously, just like you said, you can't get away from these three songs. Right. Um, I, like you, just have, you know, undiscernible memories of driving in the car and just hearing Wanted Dead or Alive Mm -hmm. or Living on a Prayer. Um, It's just like, they're ubiquitous. Yeah. I I just hear them everywhere. So it's like when I was, you know, starting to build my music library, like probably, you know, within downloading my first 20 songs, I would say there were a handful of Bon Jovi songs that I downloaded. Mm-hmm. You know, freshman year sh- freshman year of high school when I got my first iPod, Bon Jovi was on there. <laughs> um, and, and songs from this album definitely were. Um, mm-hmm. I do remember one thing, though. The first time I heard Living on a Prayer was in a VH1 classic, like, top songs of the 80s countdown. You know, those, those crappy... Cable countdown shows. Um, <laughs> those definitely introduced me to a lot of music. And, you know, so it's like Living on a Prayer was probably like, I think it was number one. I think of like the huh. top songs of the 80s, Living on a Prayer was voted number one by VH1 viewers. So, mm. hey, that, that's something, I guess. Hey. 
I feel like you also mentioned VH1 during our Whitney Houston album. I might have, yeah. <laughs> I wonder if we can go every... Bingo! Let's see if every episode we can mention VH1. VH1, <laughs> Until <Hero>. 2007. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, alright, so let's get into the background Bon Jovi, just a little bit. Because okay. um, I'm of, I'm of two minds on Bon Jovi and how to feel about them, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Guitarist John Bon Jovi. John Bonji Jovi. Bonji Jovi. John Biogi. It's, it's not... Belushi? Too, no. <laughs> it's just, you know, Bonji Jovi is one word. Uh, it's very Italian. Uh, started playing music in 1975 at the age of 13, and he was actively trying to break into the music industry by age 16. Um, some of his early work was studio work in the early 80s, uh, recording radio station jingles and the song, R2-D2, We Wish You a Merry Christmas, from the Star Wars... Themed Christmas album. Oh, jeez. It's true. He's. It, it, you look at the liner notes. He is credited oh, John geez. Bon Jovi for R two D two. I love you. Whatever the song is called. Oh. <laughs> yep. That is real. So this Christmas we're gonna watch Star Wars mu- Christmas special while listening to the Star oh, Wars. Oh no. Christmas music. I would rather listen to the Star Wars Christmas album than watch the <laughs> Star Wars Christmas special. That thing is a, a monstrosity. <laughs> Anyway, after the minor success of his single, uh, his first single, Runaway, in 1983, John formed the band, Bon Jovi, named after himself, and was signed to Capitol Records. Nice. Uh, he changed, like, he, he named, rather than Bon Jovi, as it's spelled in his real name, it was like Bon, one word, Jovi, a different word. Because, I guess, someone suggested it's like, you know, Van Halen or Def Leppard, they're popular, just do something like that. So, hmm. he's like, cool, Bon right. Jovi. Good move, John. Yep. Um, their first two albums, uh, which featured uh, a heavier sound, were modest successes, but the band wanted to adopt a more con- commercial sound and be more popular with their next one. Mm. <laughs> so? I'm like, you can use the word sellout if you want. Oh, no. To achieve their goal, they hired well-known hitmaker Desmond Child as a collaborator. He's mm-hmm. a, he, he had worked with uh, Kiss, Bonnie Tyler, Cher... To create, like, really popular radio-based hits, mm-hmm. okay? They gave Kiss, like, a huge disco hit when Kiss was said to have sold out, you know? <laughs> it's like, they're not making rock anymore, they're making disco. What is the disco hit? It's called, uh, I Was Made For Loving You, Baby. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's 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 something. You know, it's, <laughs> it's very catchy. It, it's something about Desmond Child, he writes catchy tunes. Good job, Desmond. Desmond Lloyd? Um, no. <laughs> Uh, the band focus-tested songs for the album. They auditioned over 30 tracks for local New Jersey and New York teenagers, basing the album's running order and the choice of songs on those teenagers' opinions. Mm. So I'm like, they, they, were, they were going for it. Yeah, they were. It's they did like, their market research. Yeah, man. I'm, that's the thing. It's like, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, like, I respect it on one level, but at the other level, I'm like, is, is that what I want? It makes me, like, I'm fighting myself not to be cynical about mm. it because I'm like, it feels so manufactured. Mm. But it's like, these guys wanted it. Yeah. And guess what? They sold millions of records yeah. and, and did it. How um, old was Bon Jovi at this point? Early 20s. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like, not, not too, you know, not too old. Like, they were, they were young and hungry and they wanted to make it big. Yeah. Well, yeah. So let's, we, we came in uh, with, uh, the song You Give Love a Bad Name, just to remind you what, what the chorus sounds like on that. You give love a bad name. Yeah. So, one of the, this is one of the singles from the album. I think it's the first single. 
Mm. Um, this song and the other singles were all written by Bon Jovi and Desmond Child, mm-hmm. right? They were meant to be radio hits, okay? Mm-hmm. Like, in, like, the weirdest, like, form of cannibalism or plagiarism or whatever, <laughs> this is not, like, Desmond Child had written this song already. Mm-hmm. And it had been released under a different name with a different artist. Did you know that? No. The song was originally written for Bonnie Tyler, who was known for the, you know, turn around, bright eyes. Ever know another. Yeah, that's Bonnie Tyler. Uh, she released a song in May of 1986. Oh. Like six months before Bon Jovi's album came out. Oh, wow. It was a song called If You Were a Woman and I Was a Man. Written by Desmond Child. I I sure do. Different lyrics, but the exact same, like, you know, melody and Mm -hmm. vocal melody and all that stuff. So let's see here. I would like to hear this one. Here it comes. Wow. You play your game, you give love a bad name. Six months. The, I, the, that song was released as a single from the album. It wasn't a hit. So Desmond was like, didn't work. I'll try it again with this completely different band. So you know how in college when they're like, don't pre- plagiarize, but also don't plagiarize your own work. You, you, but you're like, um, these two classes are asking for something that's basically the same thing. I'm not writing two essays. I'm just going to turn it in. He plagiarized himself. Oh. De- textbook definition. Oh. And it's like, it's not college. He's not going to get in trouble. It's just like maybe in the court of public opinion, but obviously that didn't work. But like in my head, I'm like, you couldn't even wait like 10 years. It was like he knew this was like, this is a hit in the making, man. It needs to be done now. I mean, oh, oh. I'm like, it's, a th- it's, it's so frustrating because it's like I want to be mad that you shouldn't get away with this. But he did. Bon Jovi I, and, and Desmond Child, they got away with it. I, you got to applaud the business nature. Yeah. Oh, dang. It, it's wild. Um, so, yeah, like, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't even, like, know what to say. <laughs> like, where do I go from here? It's just, like, it's so frustrating. <laughs> I mean, I don't I don't hate it. Like, play's gonna play. Get your change, homie. Like, yeah. gotta make it. Ooh. All right, let's, let's move on to the next song now. I right? wonder, I just want to know how Bonnie feels about it. I, you know, I, I, I did not look that up, but I... <laughs> Bo- Bonnie had her hits. Okay? I mean, yeah, yeah, she's like, take it, take it, young guns. All right, yeah. cool, 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 cool. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it, so um, the the Bon Jovi sound that they had here, like especially in "You Give Love a Bad Name" and "Living on a Prayer," mm-hmm. they have what I would identify as the Bonnie Tyler style, like very anthemic mm-hmm. and like what you would hear in like a like an '80s montage, you know? Oh yeah, she, she did. I need a hero, right? Mm-hmm. That was her. So like. Desmond Child, like, that's not the Bonnie Tyler song, like, style. It's the Desmond Child style. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, like, the, the flash dance or whatever, you know, that, that 80s anthem montage <laughs> rock. Gonna make it into a... That's... A John Oliver movie. What? Who made Pretty in Pink? John Hughes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm sure he, plenty of Desmond Child songs made it into Don John Hughes movies. Don John Hughes. Don John Hughes. Uh, bon I'm a John. Bon John Hughes. Bon John Don Hughes. <laughs> Belushi. Hey. Let's move on to the next song. This song I could feel a little less cynical about. It's called oh. Wanted Dead or Alive. The motorcycle song. Yep. 
I'm waiting for that intro. Yeah, just that little. Talk about synthesizers. This song has the synth. Yeah, I really like synth. <laughs> I do too. I love it. No, this is this song's great. Yeah. Th- this is probably the first Bon Jovi song I ever heard. Mm. Uh, you know, he is a cowboy on a seal ro- horse. He rides. <laughs> Wanted. We're not there yet. No, we're not. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we'll, we'll I'll talk about where this song came from. I will definitely be singing this chorus, my friend. Uh, Wanted Dead or Alive was proposed as the name of the album. Oh. Other than Slippery When Wet. I, I think Wanted Dead or Alive might be a better song title or album title. I want to say yes, but not if they were doing market research to sell to kids. I because, guess, like, yeah, let's let's be honest, the teens Wanted Dead or Alive would sell to more of a punk yeah. um, room. But Slippery When Wet is going to... It's very evocative. Yeah. It's sexy. It's sexy. Yeah. So, like, especially if you know where it came from. I have the, the where Slippery When Wet came from. The band named it Slippery When Wet after being inspired by a visit to the number five orange strip club in Vancouver, British Columbia, oh Canada. Gosh. Canadian strip club. Um, according to the guitarist um, Richie Sambora, quote, this woman descended from the ceiling on a pole and proceeded to take all her clothes off. <laughs> gosh, this is the, like the... What? Yeah. He's like, then she got in a shower and soaked herself up. And we all just, like, lost our tongues. Mom, if you're listening to this, close your ears. <laughs> and they said that they sat there and said, we'll be here every day. That energy energized us through the whole project. And we wanted to bring that level of energy to the to the. To I the hope album. they gave royalties to that woman. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Miss Slippery, she, yeah, she needs some, <laughs> she needs some recognition. So, yeah, like, I guess... The idea was they wanted to bring this like high energy. They wanted to portray the rock star mm. lifestyle, and Slippery When Wet certainly says something about it. You know, yeah, stripping. But uh, Wanted Dead or Alive also, I think, exemplifies yeah. the rock and roll lifestyle. Um, when because like it's like it's, it's a such a Gen X boomer idea. To be wanted, dead or alive? Um, no, no, no. The being a rock star oh. is like being an outlaw cowboy. You're wild west. You roll into town. You you know you 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 steal the women. You you know you plunder the town. You 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 know drink from the saloon. You rob the bank. Cowboys t- were busy bees. Yeah. <laughs> Either way, you know. So it's like this idealized ideal mm. of like the outlaw cowboy. You you know. After a hundred years, it's now become the, the rock stars are mm-hmm. the, you know, the new cowboy. Okay. The Wild West of... They're, like, taming a new frontier of yeah. music. You know, and then they, they talk about riding a steel horse. Like, the biker, outlaw mm-hmm. biker sub-genre, or, you know, subculture was also all about that. Man. Like, yeah. We're the, we're the nation's new cowboys. <laughs> you know? Why does this sound like you're selling a car to me? Sorry. <laughs> Let's see here, yeah. Bon Jovi said being an outlaw was a young band of thieves riding into town, stealing the money, the girls, and the booze before the sun came up. That's what they wanted to portray to the world. That's what Bon Jovi's all about. Oh. We're also going to market research to your kids, but <laughs> hey, man. So we know where... That's just all about, you know, prepping the job. You want to know where you're going to go in, what what defenses are up, so you can hit it quick and get so out. I'm like, it, it, <laughs> it portrays... It, it's presenting two different ideas to me. I'm like, to me... The idea that, yeah, these guys are cowboys, 
you know, rolling into town being, being, you know, being irreverent and stuff. Mm-hmm. That is contradictory to the businessmen that <laughs> were Bon Jovi. I'm like, well, which is it, guys? So it's a facade. Wanted Dead or Alive is a lie. They're hacks. Are you saying that businessmen can't be robbers and thieves? I mean, weekend warriors are a thing. The guys who ride their Harleys on the weekend, mm-hmm. they, they, you know, they hang up the suit and tie and go out on a ride. But mm-hmm. it's like, Bon Jovi, it's just like, it just seems too, it's too dissonant. For you, I think it works perfectly for me. All I'm just right. like, again, right? Like, oh yeah. Um, I would rather walk down the street with somebody who's in a biker jacket than somebody who's in a suit. Because you take me for everything I have in my house. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, this song is, uh, it's, it's a great song. Great song, yeah, but yeah, the yeah, ideas yeah. behind it, I'm just like, Bon Jovi, I, I, I can't, I'm wrestling with it, you know, Wrestle. I want to praise Bon Jovi, but I also want to take them down. Mm, I want to praise them. Go Bon Jovi. You're the only album I listened to from this year. <laughs> <laughs> but apparently now I've heard a Bonnie Tyler song. I, we, we talked about a few of the singles here. We're going to close out with the big one, the big single. But, you know, the, the singles aren't the only parts of the album we did listen to the whole album and i we just picked out one of the uh you know the album tracks Mm -hmm. the ones you you don't hear on the radio just to hear what it sounds like you know just to give an idea of what you know what what other uh what does bon jovi sound like outside of the radio yeah yeah, yeah. so we got we got a song called raise your hands hit play on that This, to me, is more, this is what Bon Jovi sounded like on their early stuff. Mm -hmm. This is more high energy and raw, like your traditional heavy metal hard Mm -hmm. rock would be. Are they situated in that genre? Like, is that where they place themselves? Heavy metal? No, no, they're hard rock. I would say they're they're hard rock or just rock. Arena rock, even. You know? Like, I I don't think... Arena rock? Why are there so many... Uh, the genres are tenuous. Like it's, it's you know, like you can occupy several genres all at once. I would say if you ask John Bon Jovi, "Hey, what music do you play?" I'm a rock star. Okay, he, he writes rock music, mm-hmm. and like you can tell, like they're not trying to be metalheads, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's like their music, especially some a song like this, like veers into like the hair metal. Like this sounds like Van Halen to 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 an extent. Mm-hmm. And it's very anthemic. Uh, more of the "Hey man, this is what I'm." Raise your hands. Oh yeah. Raise your hands. This this song sounds like you would what you would open a, a rock show with. This is the first track, you know, to get the yeah, crowd, yeah, yeah. Like, I can to, hear to that. Get the crowd that. energized. It's like, hey guys, raise your hands, pump, you know, pump your fists. Get ready for a for a rockin' show, mm-hmm. you know. And, and the song's lyrics reflect the same, like, you know, never say die attitude. Mm-hmm. You, you know, keep, you know, keep. We're gonna, you know, party hard. Um, uh, that's what the band's all about, man. We're about having a good time. Mm-hmm. About, uh, you know, make make making the most out of every day. Yeah. Is, is anything struck out to you, especially lyrically, in the song? Not for any like real reason, but um, at the end of the chorus, when they're saying "raise your hands," from New York to Chicago, raise your hands; from New Jersey to Tokyo, raise your hands. And I was just like, "Are they from Jersey?" Yes, yes, they are. Oh yeah, <laughs> which makes these sense are, as to why Jersey. they went from like New York to a place in the states, and then from Jersey, we're going to Tokyo. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> "Oh yeah, 
Yeah, these are Jersey boys. Yeah, good job, Jersey boys. Um, interesting enough, they, they mentioned Tokyo. Like, Japan loves 80s, like, hard rock and heavy metal. Like, mm. hair metal, like... Um, During this time or still? Oh, oh yeah, still. Mm. And, 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 and back then, you know. It's like, I, you always hear stories of, like, bands... Always made it big first in Japan. Uh. Um, a good example is Quiet Riot. Quiet Riot had a big old hit in the mid-80s, but like their first two albums were only released in Japan. <laughs> I don't know. It's, just, it's like, hey man, you want to break through? You go to Japan. Huh. So I, I, I bet you uh, Bon Jovi made some tours of Japan to make it big. So anyway, it's a funny little thing. But that's that's raise your hand. It's a, it's a good little song. Mm-hmm. It's like very... I, I feel like it's it's not as... It's not as polished... And it's not as like, you mm-hmm. know, radio friendly as their other stuff, but yeah. it has the energy that you would want to hear in a traditional hard rock song. Yeah. So it's like, I, I mean, I feel like, I don't know. I feel like there's less pretension. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm more inclined to like enjoy the artistry. Of, mm. uh, you know, I'm pretentious. Yeah. I feel like I'm, You're I'm being. Preten- You're picky? I'm pretentious what? about pretension. It's weird, oh. isn't it? Mm. <laughs> Anyway, we're gonna close. Or we're gonna we're gonna close out this segment with a discussion on their biggest hit, "Living on a Prayer." Shot through the heart. Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> it has a kind of a slow intro here. Oh yeah, there we go. I got that that synthesizer like mm-hmm. good good. Laying the bed, coming in with that bass. I don't know. This here. makes me think of Better Off Dead. That's a talk box. That whoop 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 whoop. So it, you can make your guitar talk. You like talk into this little tube that's like feeding mm-hmm. into the guitar and it makes your guitar talk. So he's just going, you know, he's playing the notes and I was going to go, 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 go. <laughs> but yeah, like uh, there, um, I know that. Uh, Wait, I just went to the beginning. The song tells a story, man. It goes places. Um, so yeah. Uh, this song almost—they almost cut it. It oh. wasn't going to be on the album. What? Yeah. Wait. Bon Jovi, John, was initially reluctant to include it on the album because he didn't think it was good enough. But the guitarist Sambora convinced him that it was a hit in the making, so they recorded it anyway. Good job, Sam. They I'm clapping the, for Sam. Yeah. They added the uh, the, the talk box. They mm. tweaked some things, and they're like, "Okay, all right, that's fine." And and sure enough, it's the hugest hit. Yeah, it's voted the the '80s best song ever from VH1 viewers. Song tells the story of uh, Tommy and Gina, right? Mm-hmm. Is that is, that's what it is, right? Yes. Tom, Tommy works in the docks, and Gina works a diner. Diner all day, all day. <laughs> working for her man. Yep, it's, not the man, her man. Yeah. It's about, you know, two down-on-their-luck uh, working-class folks just trying to make it. Just, mm-hmm. just doing the best they can every day, working hard, because, uh, you know, they're, they're going to make it one day. They'll make it through these hard times. Yeah. Hard times, baby. No, Dusty Rhodes is not allowed on this podcast. I'm sure Dusty Rhodes loves this song. <laughs> um, so I was reading that John Bon Jovi and Desmond Child, when they wrote this song, they were ex- they were inspired by real life events of the late seventies, early eighties. John Bon Jovi had an acquaintance who was a baseball player in school, and he wanted to be a professional baseball player. But when he found out his girlfriend was pregnant, 
he gave up on his ambition and just worked in a factory, working class mm. job. So it's like, you know, this song is about, you know, it's like, hey, man, you got your dreams and you're going to keep fighting for your dreams. But you got to work hard in the meantime. Mm. Got to work hard in the day. And then Desmond Child worked as a taxi driver in New York before making it big. Hmm. Um, and he knew his then girlfriend was a singer songwriter who worked as a waitress in a diner. So they both like witnessed people down on their luck, mm-hmm. working hard for their dreams, but you know, doing the you know, I don't even know, like the, doing their, the dirty their best, work. Yeah. yeah, doing the dirty work to to make it happen. Yeah. Uh, so it's an inspiring song. Mm. It's a it's a tragic song. Cause... Yeah, it's hard to live your dreams when you're awake all the time. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually really sad. I'm sorry. <laughs> and I, I found this little nu- this quote made me laugh because I was like, okay, Bon Jovi, I can get behind that. So John said he wrote the song during the Reagan era and the trickle down economics. Um, that that era were really inspiring for writing songs. So I was like. I read that and I was like, okay, he's either <laughs> saying two things. He was like, Reagan, Reaganomics wasn't what we said it wasn't what they said it was going to be, and which it all, wasn't, which it wasn't, <laughs> and they're all working class folks trying to hard to to make their you know dreams come true. But it's like, hey man, we got to work you know these dead end jobs or you know mm-hmm. these minimum wage jobs, and it sucks. But hey, these are real stories about real people, right? So that's what he's saying. Or he was saying. Man, it was Reagan was such a great time, man. It was just so good to write songs back then, right? Uh, it's just like that quote kind of sounds like that, doesn't it? It was like yeah. it was such a great time for inspiring writing songs. So I was like, "Well, which is it, John?" <laughs> and I was like scared. I was like, "What are John Bon Jovi's politics?" <laughs> Apparently, he is a big time lefty, and he performed like live for fundraisers for like Obama, hmm. and Clinton, and a bunch of other like. Democratic candidate, so mm-hmm. I was like, okay, All right. so he's standing up for the working class, I guess. Yeah, um, I'll leave that there. <laughs> uh, anything else you want to say about living on prayer? Um, we'll close the segment out with it because it deserves like just unfiltered like. Well, halfway there. I just, it's just really good. I think they're right. Like, no matter, <laughs> it's doesn't take as much digging as um, some of the Iron Maiden songs did, right? Because you're, it's pretty up there but i like love you can connect with it so easily uh whether you've worked on the docks or not <laughs> so no it's just it's great it's a great song it's anthetic it's it, it's it is peak 80s like yeah. it's like you can it, it's like there's a handful of songs where it's like within the first five seconds you hear it and you're like oh that's the 80s yeah it's this mm-hmm. yeah all right, so some facts about how successful this album was mm-hmm. like it was huge yeah huge um it spent eight weeks at number one um on the billboard charts it was named by billboard the top selling album of 1987 so into the next year wow people were still buying this this album had legs wow it had three top 10 billboard hits you give all the bad name living on a prayer and uh wanted dead or alive the first two were number ones they were the first hard rock glam metal band to ever have two consecutive number one chart hits Market research did well. Yep, and they were the first rock, hard rock, glam metal band to have three Billboard top ten hits at once. Okay. So good job, Bon Jovi. Good job, B. His, history. He, he, this is interesting though. Contemporary reviews were mixed at best. Hmm. Apparently, like critics didn't. I get. I don't know. They didn't think it was that good. Uh, Rolling Stone wrote 
John Bon Jovi and his band serve up condescending sentiment, reducing every emotional statement to a barefaced cliche, either because they think that's all their audience can comprehend or because that's all they can comprehend. Um, th- so well, these so these critics I think have the same like mental uh, 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 wrestling that I was going through because mm-hmm. it's like I can understand why they think that because mm-hmm. it is very like lowest common denominator, but mm-hmm. that's why it's so dang popular. Yeah, it's like everyone can identify with. So it's like it's both brilliant and frustrating. It's both artistic and not. Here's my take on it. Yeah. Let people listen to the music they like. <laughs> like, I get it, right? Like, this is, I, because I listen to so many different, not that you'll ever see it in this podcast, so many different kinds of music. Um, and I'm just kind of like, and I pick and choose. I'll say that, oh, I don't really care for that artist, but I really like that song. Or I really like that artist, but I don't like this particular song. From I'm just kind of like, why, why do we have to determine what makes art artful, right? Like, it makes me think about people who were like anime is not art and i was like i'm sorry have you seen the background of the water painting here and this and I that mean, like in, in it's the, not for the, everyone in the but mighty words of uh, hayao miyazaki anime was a mistake <laughs> <laughs> no I'm, I'm just i just it's like one of those things where i'm like when i hear them I'm like okay you have your opinion but like when it's just like lowbrow as if people can't understand more i was like yo sometimes I just want to listen to Baby Shark because that's the mood I'm in. And I will not be shamed for that because sometimes I just want something repetitive and soft. That doesn't mean it's lowbrow and not good. It just means like, hey, that's what I'm in the mood for. That's what my brain can comprehend. That's what's going to get me into a happy place. I want place some or musical candy. That's what this song is. Yeah. Like, these songs are musical candy. And what's wrong with that? Like, who? I, I want a sweet box. Let me have it. I say that. Again, I've only listened to three songs off this because obviously I didn't deep dive deeper into their work. But I'm just kind of like, okay, all right. Like what you like. Don't be a douche. Don't trash. Like, it's, uh, that's the thing. I'm like, this is somebody's work. Like, they put a lot of work into it. As much as we're like, Desmond, well, okay, he did praise himself. himself. <laughs> but, you know, I'm just like, yo, that's his work. And he's like, I was working as a taxi driver and I have skills and I want to, like, make this. I'm like, okay. Boo do you. You did it, babe. You did it. Oh, I'm so happy for you. Mwah. Go away. All the haters just go away. Go away. I do not want you here. And that's my take. <laughs> All right. So um, modern appraisals, you know, I, I think it proves that it's like something can be pretentious. You can be pretentious and cynical about something at the time, but like, if history mm-hmm. remembers it fondly, it's like what you said back then doesn't matter. Because All of Van Gogh's work, yes. Modern appraisals have been much kinder to the album. Uh, Slippery When Wet has been placed on Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's list of the definitive 200 albums of all time. Mm. And it was included in the 2005 book, 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. Mm. So That's a lot of albums. Yeah, but people, people love this stuff. Um, by the way, I think your uh, Whitney Houston album was also in that book. Hey, go Whitney, go Whitney. <laughs> Neither of my albums so far have been included on well, that, in that book. Well, that's not it. Was Prince included on that? Probably. Purple Rain? Girl, you've got good taste even though you only listened to two songs off of albums. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, where did Bon Jovi go from here? Uh, they never... To were, Jersey. This is, on, you know, like... This is their peak, and it's quite the peak. You know, mm. hey man, they they rode the success of this album. They, I bet you, they sell out stadiums every year because of this album alone. Mm-hmm. But hey man, they living off it. Yeah. Um, the living off of prayer. Yeah. Their next album also had songs written by Desmond Child. Uh, there's a song called Bad Medicine, which is like their only other big hit. Mm-hmm. You know, from the '80s. Um, it's fine, but it just wasn't as successful as the one. I don't think I've heard it. <laughs> uh, it, it's fine. 
It's very. It sounds like you give love a bad name, mm. just with different lyrics. It's like the <laughs> third play, time. Yeah, they plagiarized <laughs> themselves the third time. Um, and then they had a renaissance in the year two thousand. <laughs> um, with the song, with the album Crush and the song "It's My Life Now or Never." I'm not gonna remember ever. Yeah, that one. Ah, I so know that it, one. A big, big hit. So you know, hey man, at least like they could say it's like we were successful in two decades. Mm-hmm. So congratulations, Bon Jovi. Good you, job. You, you did it. Good job. Good, good job. Um, Desmond Child. He went on to write big hits, humongous hits for... Humongous. Yeah. Aerosmith and their 90s renaissance. Okay. Uh, Wait, is that the Armageddon song? No, no, no <laughs> I, I don't think he wrote that song, but uh, he wrote Dude Looks Like a Lady. Dude Looks Like yeah. a Lady. Angel and, Angel and Crazy were the other like big radio hits. Like Aerosmith sings Dude Looks Like a Lady? Yeah. Oh. I understand that obviously a band sang it, but for some reason my brain can only say, no, Robin Williams sings that song because um, of Miss Doubtfire. Anyway, Desmond Child wrote uh, Alice Cooper's Poison, which is amazing. The song mm. is so good. Um, it's excellent. I only know one song called Poison. Poison! Uh, yeah, that's not that one. <laughs> and he wrote Ricky Martin's Live and La Vida Loca. Oh, wow. Yep. Okay. Massive hit. Desmond Child, he, he is the hit maker. All right. The, the soul shaker. Hit maker. Oh. Sorry, that's from something else. Um, we will, good job, Desmond. We will revisit Desmond Child sometime in the future. Be, you know, be ready for it. <laughs> so with music albums, we, we've talked about the music. Mm-hmm. The music and the lyrics and everything on the album. Who won this year? Jess uh, or Rod? Um, Jess. Yeah, Jess won. Absolutely. Hey, somewhere she in time, keeps winning. So, somewhere in time, it's it's fine. Bon Jovi, <laughs> Slipper and Wet cannot be uh, contained. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Jess wins. She's she's won. Uh, that's two music years in a row. You've mm-hmm. won. C- congratulations. Oh, thank you. Um, but you know what? What we can't judge a music album on the music alone. Mm-hmm. There's all there's an element to a music album that I think is not as important, but it's pretty important. Pretty important. And that is the album cover. So I've got the album covers for both "Somewhere in Time," "Slippery When Wet," and we're gonna decide which one. Looks better. Mm-hmm. All right, let's start with Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden is famous for their album covers. Uh, they have a mascot. Do you know his name? Eddie the Ed. Eddie the Ed. You got yes! It. I uh, finally got it. With an accent, it's Eddie the Head. Eddie the Head. He is a zombie character. Um, he's been on almost every single Iron Maiden album. And usually, Eddie is like drawn in a setting and in a way that represents like kind of the theme of the album, mm-hmm. right? So in this case, it's called Somewhere in Time. Time is the uh, operative theme mm-hmm. for the album. Every song deals with time, time travel, so on, so on, mm-hmm. right? So, th- but it's not a concept album. It's not a, con- <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's you know sort of a concept album. It's not an intentional concept anyway, album. Anyway, the album features Eddie as a cybernetic zombie. Mm-hmm. He's got. Uh, Robot enhancements. He's got a laser gun. He's in like a dystopian. So many muscles. He's got a lot of muscles. A, a ro- Blade Runner esque skyline in the background. He's walking through mm-hmm. a town. Uh, there's like a robot body that he's like standing over as if he just shot a man. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got like a robot Terminator eye. Yeah. It's 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 a lot of lot of it's greens eye- and browns. It's very eye catching. Uh. To, to me, it's very 80, like 
Bla- the Blade Runner, like, dystopian, like, dark city look mm-hmm. to me is very, like, um, like late 80s. Yeah. Because, like, to me, like, the, the early 80s is all about, like, glitz and glamour and mm-hmm. money and excitement and prosperity. We're all going to make it because Reagan's going to make it happen, right? right? And then by the late 80s, it's like, yeah, none of that works. So all the cities are, like, dirty and grungy and mm-hmm. dangerous. Like, you think of, like late 80s New York City or Los Angeles like you're just like trash everywhere and homeless people and double dragon yeah it's it's <laughs> you know it's it's frightening so this album has Eddie walking through this dark you know grimy city with like lights in the you know facade of lights in the background with like neon lights and mm-hmm. stuff but that's what you see and two pistols in hand yeah one on a holster yep the album cover was created by the band's regular artist Derek Riggs he's basically drawn every Iron Maiden album up to this point. Mm-hmm. Um, past ones, interestingly enough, like he's, he did, uh, for Power Slave, it was like an Egyptian theme. Mm-hmm. For Number on the Beast, it was like a satanic theme. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so he's he's always doing something different with Eddie. Yeah. Eddie is just moldable. He, he can be <laughs> anything. It's, it's quite interesting. Um, and another interesting quality of an album cover by Iron Maiden, especially with like um, Power Slave on, is they have Easter eggs on the album cover. So mm-hmm. if you've got the big old sleeve, the big record, and you're like, you know, looking at these high def images, you can like see stuff in the background, the front and the back. Mm-hmm. I found a list of different um, Easter eggs on the album cover. And I thought you'd find this one interesting. It's not on the front, but on the back cover, there's mm-hmm. like a city skyline. And on one of the buildings is the TARDIS huh. from Doctor Who. Huh. <laughs> because Iron Maiden are big nerds. Big old nerds. I do like me a good TARDIS insert. So you like that album cover? Yeah, it's it's interesting. Do you have a little man on yours? I don't think so. Like that doesn't look like a. Oh yeah, person. a little, a little, yeah, a little bit. I, I thought that was like when you were like Easter eggs. I was like maybe that's an Easter egg. I don't it might, know. It might be. Anyway, <laughs> so moving on to Bon Jovi, Slippery When Wet. Uh, the album cover is black. <laughs> yeah. Dirty. It's yeah. It just kind of looks like gravel. I think it's like. Uh, asphalt with it's, rocks thrown on it and a- then it's actually a wet black garbage bag oh like a close-up of a garbage bag with the word slippery when wet and written on it yeah through like they sprayed it with water so the yeah. droplets were on it and then just uh yeah fingered out the slippery when wet yeah, yeah that that's very that's what it is um, all right it's ugly yeah it's not it, it is not it's not Pleasing? an attractive cover. No, I I, it, I guess it portrays the like dirtiness of uh, the '80s at the time. Yeah, know, like the sleaziness and the, the filthiness of it. You know, uh, even Sam Boro, the guitar player, said, uh, "So simple, not very impressive." <laughs> <laughs> it's really not. And this was like their first album. This is their third album. Third, okay. Yeah. Interestingly, this is not their first choice for album cover. Okay. This is the. Second choice. The first choice looks like this. Oh, I saw that when I was looking for it. it I'm is, glad they didn't go with that. <laughs> it is a busty woman uh, taking part in a wet t-shirt contest, yeah. I guess. And the um, words are the title of the, the album are written on her on, yellow shirt. On her yellow shirt. It is gaudy. It's loud. It's like she's wearing a bright yellow shirt. There's like a bright pink a border. border. Yeah. The, you know, it's so it's like... It's it's. I mean, I guess the one they went with is like the lesser of two evils, but both of them are like yeah. not attractive. The covers. original, the original one is eye catching in a mm-hmm. dirty kind of way. Yeah, but also it's like not like I'm just like looking at it, like this is gr- like gross. Yeah, just like unpleasant. 
um, in a different way than the unpleasant of the actual album cover. <laughs> um, I was looking at the story on why they changed the album cover, and uh, the reasons are as you would expect. Record executives feared that the f- the dominant record store chains at the time would refuse to carry the album with the sexist cover. Mm-hmm. And John Bon Jovi disliked the bright pink port, the bright pink border. Mm-hmm. So. Um, we t- we've talked about this a few times already in the 80s music segments, but the music industry in the 80s was getting woke. Mm-hmm. Um, they did not want to endorse sexism, and, and they wanted to protect the kids. Yeah. You know, Prince's uh, Purple Rain uh, caused a, a, you know, a firestorm <laughs> in the media because it had very filthy... Songs like Nikki. Yeah, Darling Nikki. Filthy lyrics that children definitely shouldn't be listening to. Yeah. And they wanted to give parents a way to, you know, know what content was in the music they were buying their kids. So mm-hmm. all of these discussions ended up in the parental advisory sticker that you slap on an album. Mm-hmm. So it's like that mentality meant that, you know, hey, we're also super aware and very sensitive to uh, what people might perceive as sexist mm-hmm. album covers, so let's not put a uh, yeah, let's not put a na- nearly naked woman on the yeah. store shelves for children to see. Um, yeah, it's funny. This is a, a real life situation in the movie Spinal Tap. They have a very similar conversation where it's mm-hmm. like, hey, we don't want to put put a sexist album cover on store shelves, and that movie came out two years before. <laughs> so this is Bon Jovi becoming Spinal Tap. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's. That's it for ninety. That's, that's it for ninety six. Who had the better album cover? Eighty six. Eighty six. Um, I'm gonna have to say you. I, I don't really like either of them, but I'm gonna have to M- say mine. Mine has more creativity. Yeah, yours has more creativity. It's yeah, it's more. It's not something I'd put on a shirt. <laughs> I, you know, hey man, I'm but, sure there are things. Oh with yeah. both of us. Shirts. I, I've seen Iron them, Maiden album covers make great posters. Mm. This is a great poster. That's it. Yeah. What, what do we got? What's next? Uh, would we like to talk about Runners Up? Let's do Runners Up. You know, th- these are the winners, but hey, there are some albums that nearly made the cut, I guess. Probably right. more for me than you, I would assume. Yeah, absolutely more for you. Um, okay, so, all right. Uh, Rodney had two other Runners Up. One of them was, uh, oh, no, three. Uh, one of them was Metallica, Master of Puppets. Uh, I- iconic. 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 Um... <laughs> We we talked about we talked about Megadeth in 1985. Uh, Master Puppets was thrash metals like uh, breaking into the the stratosphere. Master Puppets was huge, and uh, hey man, that's a great album. <laughs> the other one, uh, Megadeth, Peace Cells, a- but also a great album. Who's buying? Not as big as Master Puppets, but I think more artistic. Oh. I think it's smarter. Mm. So, <laughs> man, Megadeth was. They were cranking them out fast. They got their debut oh, yeah. album in 85 and then their follow-up in 86. And their Peace Cells is way better than their first album. So that's interesting. Huh, nice. Yeah. Beastie Boys, Licensed to Ill. Yes. Okay. So we talked about developing the rules for what our albums would be. Uh. Beastie Boys just so happened to be like one of the first acts that just... I gravitated towards as like a middle schooler, you know, it's like you hear these silly songs about girls and brass monkeys and Hey man, all of my friends were just into it. So when it came time to start developing uh, a music library for myself, Mm -hmm. Beastie Boys was one of the first. I borrowed the CD from my older sister, put on like, I think like eight or so songs from the album. And those were like on my iPod 
within weeks of me getting it. Mm-hmm. So Beastie Boys were one of the first. And I listened to those eight songs quite a lot. The problem is, License to Ill is longer than those eight songs. So when we come to th- when we finally develop the rules, we're you know I de- we decided because I've heard all of the Iron Maiden album that one should win. This was decided after he put me through the actual hell of listening to Beastie Boys' License to Ill. It's not good. It's very not good. It, it's so bad, and uh, I apologize to you. Apologize more. Apology. <laughs> uh, don't listen to License to Ill. Listen to any of those other albums but License to Ill. It's so bad. Oh, uh, we talk about. I'm, we're not going to talk about this anymore because we already talked about it in a secret episode. <laughs> I I feel bad just because I just went on that rant about like, let people make art that they like. (sighs) And I agree with that statement. So, I mean, the Beastie Boys is for someone. This particular album is for someone. It's not for anyone in this household and I never want to listen to any of the songs off that album ever again. Thank you. My runner's up. Oh gosh. I only had one runner up, Uh which was Run DMC's Raising Hell. What even songs are on that? Is that I don't know. Is it I walk think it was, this way. Walk this way. That was the only other song I had heard from this year. I like we went through all of the albums and I didn't recognize any of the um, authors, any of the artists when we went through the artist list. And then Rodney's like, you have to have heard something. And I mean, obviously Bon Jovi. But um, then we had to like go through. What, Rodney is much better at knowing music than I am, and so he. Was like okay. Well, here are the singles from this album. Here are the single. Here are the big hits from this album. Have you heard this? Have you heard? You have to have heard this. Plays me a little bit. I was like, I've never heard that song before. Yeah, but you have heard "Walk This Way." I have is, heard, which Walk is a this cover way. by Aerosmith. It's also a collaboration. It's Run DMC. It's it's Aerosmith. Rap and rock coming together, making a a, a hip hop baby. <laughs> <laughs> a hip hop baby. Uh, a, a you know they're they're making a box office success. Nice. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that was the first crossover hit. One of them. Mm. Um, anyway, that's all we got. The yeah. Plugs? Plugs? Um, We're closing out. Oh, right. We are closing out. So, uh, plugs. Hair plugs. They're good. Uh, maybe, I don't know. Um, you can find, we have other projects that we're working on. You can find, uh, me on YouTube at Taming Tales, Tales spelled T-A-L-E-S, uh, where I tell stories to video and some royalty-free music. (laughs) Um, I also have a YouTube channel, uh, me and some friends, we talk about professional wrestling. We follow the careers of certain wrestlers and we... Look and see what they got onto back in the day. Um, if you want to follow that, it's called Keep Kayfabe. Kayfabe is spelled K-A-Y-F-A-B-E. It's wrestling. It means in-universe. Yeah. For yeah. anyone who goes there and says that's not why they did those things, it's because we're talking about Kayfabe, the mm. characters. <laughs> yeah. Um, and if you want to read about me and video games, uh, I write for a website called ZeldaDungeon.net. We do news and features about The Legend of Zelda. We're a very prominent fan site. If you like Zelda, check it out. That's all we got. We're going to close out with none other than living on a prayer. Hey. We, uh, we hope to see you soon. We'll be hey. back. We hope you soon return to hear us with your ear parts. Yeah. We'll see you next time with the TV of 1986. Mm-hmm. So long, farewell. Until we meet again. <laughs>